This is the episode for Sunday, July 2nd, 2023. It is not safe for work. Let's get started. Today is July 2nd, 2023. This is episode 44 of Sunday Morning Manga. I am Derek S. McGrath. My pronouns are he, him, his. I live stream every Sunday, 11 a.m. Eastern, on Twitch and YouTube at Derek S. McGrath. A recording is available Sunday afternoons on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You can read my writing on WordPress and other sites at Derek S. McGrath. And you can email me at derek.s.mcgrath at gmail.com. There is a transcript for today's episode available at derekesmcgrath.wordpress.com. Every Sunday, there is a live reaction to a newly released manga chapter, usually. But this is July 4th weekend, and there has been something I've been wanting to talk about for a while. What My Hero Academia says about America. This is not going to be a fun discussion. I know I've been getting more and more political on this live stream, asking you to make sure you can register a vote and that if you can, that you do so and vote for Democrats. And I know July 4th is coming up. And while I appreciate what privileges I have, it's near impossible to go into July 4th without thinking how those privileges are held by, well, privileged people. And when you have privilege, you should be helping others. Instead, I see a right-wing movement intending to get marginalized people out of the public sphere who don't want marginalized people to be a part of this country, who don't want them celebrating July 4th. I see a fascistic movement that is still on the rise in the United States making any celebrating of July 4th a disingenuous joke. The Supreme Court acted against the best interests of all people within the United States. Before I just complain about how bad things have gone, I want you to read the post by username Good News Roundup at the Daily Coast. Link is in the description. They include steps you can take, and yes, this includes voting and getting others to vote, but it also includes talking about how Biden's team has backup plans and you need to support Biden's alternative plans to achieve goals of forgiving student loan debt and protecting our education system at a time when the Supreme Court is making any education system in this country less inclusive and less fair. So those aren't things to celebrate, but they are steps you can take. What there is to celebrate this July 4th is pointless to celebrate if you're not protecting what freedoms remain in the U.S. and if you are not making sure those freedoms belong to all people within that nation. Not just some privileged class, not just the citizens, but to all people within the borders of this nation. And instead, my country gave the middle finger to BIPOC and LGBTQAI plus people. So, Forgive me at this July 4th, I don't think there is much the U.S. has to be proud of. Any patriotism I ever had since an illegitimate invasion of Iraq and this orange buffoon walking into the White House has long been tempered with a little bit of skepticism that slogans and symbols and even laws in writing mean next to nothing if they're not decent people who actually back up their slogans, symbols, and laws 
with steadfast action applied to all people. This is not a week where I want to hear someone say, God bless America, when all I hear is a Republican-backed gang of ghouls on the Supreme Court saying that America can fuck off. And after this way-too-long diatribe, all this makes me think, hey, let's talk about My Hero Academia. It'll make sense in a moment. But first, some disclaimers. I feel a lot of weight on myself saying this aloud, if only because I worried that it reflects on others. So, everything I just said and will be saying going forward, I want to make this clear. Every week, I read a disclaimer that what I say here reflects what I think, not what anyone else thinks. These are my remarks. They aren't the thoughts or opinions of any financial contributors, of any companies mentioned, of My Hero Academia creator Kohei Horikoshi. This is me talking, observing similarities between Horikoshi's work of fiction and our real lives in the United States. I'll have a longer disclaimer at the end of today's podcast just to reinforce all of this. And to reinforce what I had to say about how the Supreme Court can fuck off, this is an anti-bigotry space. I oppose and denounce any form of bigotry, discrimination, or intolerance, as these are threats to the safety and well-being of every single person on this planet, especially people marginalized because of their identity, and these threats run counter to what my country, the United States, claims it cares about. Diversity, inclusion, and equity. Any audience comments that express hate, prejudice, intolerance, or discrimination against any individual or group on the basis of but not limited to their race, ethnicity, religion, nation of origin, gender, or sexuality will be deleted by me from the comments section. None of this is at all to say that I don't have prejudices and biases, especially unknowingly having them or practicing them, to tell bigotry can be ingrained in institutions. And this isn't to say that I don't have areas where I can improve at practicing anti-bigotry. I welcome remarks that point out how I am practicing bigotry so that I can improve. I am interested in using this stream to engage in works opponents to practice equity, diversity, and inclusion. With all of those disclaimers out of the way, let's get into today's question. What does My Hero Academia say about America? This discussion is not going to be an exhaustive list. I can already tell you that when it comes to what My Hero Academia says about certain forms of marginalization and institutionalized bigotry, especially when it comes to intersections of ethnicity, nation of origin, race, gender, sexuality, and ability, my remarks will be lacking. My omissions are all the more glaring as my country is dismantling anti-discrimination and pro-inclusiveness policies. Seriously, what kind of a heartless jerk says no to affirmative action and no to having LGBTQAI plus customers? Evidently, some dickhead judges on the Supreme Court who should be impeached and removed before the president stacks the court to offset the number of illegitimate judges on that court but there I go being political again. But, getting back on topic, 
this discussion today also is definitely going to speak to certain topics that typically get most of my attention in this live stream. Again, all the more glaring that when it comes to issues of the intersection of how people can be so bigoted, yeah, I'm not getting enough into that in today's discussion. I also want to apologize for how disconnected this discussion will be. I mean, beyond the fact this isn't the typical weekly live reaction to a new manga chapter, this is me giving practically a conference presentation on, oh, this detail is fascinating, I don't quite have a conclusion to this discussion, but noticing similarities may be relevant moving forward to interpreting a work of fiction and figuring out where we in our real lives need to be going. So you can pretty much split today's discussion into two parts. What My Hero Academia says about being disabled in the United States, and what My Hero Academia says about the slow response the United States has had against January 6th insurrectionists. One of the first things My Hero Academia told me about America is what it's like living with disabilities when infrastructure and social programs are not there for you. We'll get to that at the end of today's discussion. But first, let's talk about what My Hero Academia said about the United States in one of its most significant arcs, the Paranormal Liberation Front War arc, and how it just happens to get published in the midst of the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. On January 6, 2021, I was keeping up on the news about the protests happening that day in Washington, D.C., ahead of Congress certifying the vote and the election of Joe Biden as United States President. During those protests, there was one speaker, that pipsqueak Rudy Giuliani, who gave his speech in which he said, quote, let's have trial by combat. I remember hearing Giuliani, and I laughed off his bullshit because I was thinking, you and what army? And then the mob stormed the Capitol. What does this have to do with My Hero Academia? On December 9, 2019, so about one year before the January 6, 2021 attack, Kohei Horikoshi published Chapter 253 of My Hero Academia. The My Hero Academia wiki refers to this chapter as the start of the Paranormal Liberation Front war arc. This wiki lists the end of that arc as ending with Chapter 306, published March 22, 2021, almost three months after January 6. So, the arc lasted about a year and four months. And it just happened that the attack on the U.S. Capitol happened in the midst of this arc getting published. These chapters were later adapted into episode 107 and episodes 113 to 131 of the My Hero Academia anime, airing August 14, 2021, and September 25, 2021 to February 4, 2023. What happens in the Paranormal Liberation Front War arc. I'm going to be working from the wiki for a lot of this. That's lazy on my part, so I encourage you to reread chapters 253 to 306, available at viz.com, or 
Watch the anime adaptation episode 107 and episodes 113 to 131 at crunchyroll.com. Hashtag just a meeting. And for a lot of you out at Anime Expo this weekend, first off, wow, those crowds are probably not going to be good if you're trying to maintain your health, so make sure you're wearing a mask. And second, if there are people striking outside the hotel, I certainly wouldn't be crossing the picket line, but that's just me. Citing the My Hero Academia wiki again, Here's a bullet point list of the events most relevant for today's discussion. First, the Paranormal Liberation Front, the ones trying to foment an insurrection, were already prepared for an attack by the pro-heroes, the police of the story. And yes, we will be getting into the complexities of policing in the United States just very lightly in a moment. Second, while Hawks, a double agent inside the Paranormal Liberation Front, was trying to warn other pro-heroes about how bad this war could be, those warnings still weren't enough. Like, if you look at the aftermath in the manga, you're like, wow, the heroes were not prepared at all for this. Is this because Hawks underestimated just how well-prepared the Paranormal Liberation Front was going to be? and how intense the Paranormal Liberation Front was to harm the pro-heroes and society at large? Or was it because Hawks didn't have all information about how bad this was going to get? I think you can make a case that the answer is both, that both Hawks underestimated and Hawks had incomplete information. Third, Hawks kills twice to prevent him from using his quirk. Here's where we're getting a bit into policing, and this is complicated, so I'm going to elide certain topics of discussion for right now. This is recorded and shared with the general public, which turns some public sentiment against pro-heroes. Fourth, it becomes obvious to pro-heroes, regardless whether they are prepared for this attack, did not successfully contain it. Cities are destroyed. Bystanders are injured, homeless, or dead. Shigaraki's power-ups allow him to free all for one, and then numerous other superpowered villains, from prisons, and then they all decimate cities and infrastructure, causing such a siege upon Japan that its borders are closed from within and from outside. So you have hardly any other nations willing to intervene to assist Japanese pro-heroes, who refused to listen to the pleas of pro-heroes within Japan begging for outside help. Finally, when one pro-hero from the United States does come to Japan to help fight Shigaraki, that hero, Stars and Stripes, is killed. As a result of her death, the President of the United States seriously considers surrendering to All for One as one contingency plan, especially because enough people in the United States are telling the president that they are willing to appease all for one. It's not hard for me to look at this list and not find disturbing parallels to our real world, and this isn't as clear in the script as I wanted it to be, so going off script for a moment. Uh, yeah, I'm not saying Horikoshi predicted any of this, 
I'm just saying that at the time I read it, I was like, this is unbelievable. This one happened in real life. And then I'm seeing a slow motion coup happening on January 6th. And thanks to the failure to properly indict and try enough people who allegedly led the January 6th insurrection, it's still a slow moving coup where we have that orange buffoon running again for office when, in my opinion, he should be indicted on charges related to January 6th, and if I had my druthers, we would be making sure that, by law, he was not running for office, but that's just me. So, looking again at what we have in front of us in our real world. First, those January 6th insurrectionists had planned details in advance of the attack. Second, Police and Congress likely underestimated how bad this could get. I'll circle back to this point in a moment. Third, the United States right wing, a terrorist movement, backed by the fascistic Republican Party, a party that in my opinion should be legally dissolved, used video footage showing one person who tried to enter the Capitol and who would die after being shot by a police officer. This American right wing used that video footage to further galvanize their treacherous cause. Sidebar, this is also why I am tiptoeing around the issues of policing and violence, because on the one hand, you can have debates about what Hawks did, and I'm not interested in debating this real world case of a police shooting that killed someone, but... We do need to have a discussion at another point about, yeah, policing in the United States is lethal and decides that lethal use of force as a first measure and is doing so indiscriminately, largely against marginalized people, including people who are black. And that's part of the discussion I mean lighting, because comparing the person who was shot in the Capitol to the numerous instances of police shooting or killing black people, especially black people who are unarmed and not a physical threat against anyone else or themselves, that is a false comparison. So again, another reason why I am tiptoeing around discussion of police violence, because we're talking about the parallel of what Hawks did to twice and what Congress did to one of the alleged insurrectionists and how this comparison is in terms of the aftermath in terms of how video footage was used by certain parties to further their cause. So continuing this discussion, Ford, as I said, the U.S. government was not prepared for this. This lack of preparedness is not necessarily a failure by the police or by the state of Washington, D.C., or by the Congress. Rather, in my opinion, responsibility begins and ends with the orange occupant in that White House, who has already shown his sympathies with the insurrectionists, and if you read recent news, that former White House occupant just happened to share online what is alleged to be the home address of Barack Obama, and then an alleged January 6th raid participant shared that orange fascist post about Obama's home address and said alleged January 6th raid participant 
was arrested after being found near Obama's home. You'll forgive me if I look at this orange jackass and say he's trying to foment another insurrection. But let me get back to my points. This orange occupant in that White House on January 6th, at best, delayed to direct police and National Guard to intervene in the January 6th attack. And he did not seem to really care to provide any resources to stop his own supporters from harming his vice president, from harming members of Congress, from harming police, from harming other citizens and residents of this country. Finally, we had the Department of Justice engaged in a slow-motion investigation into January 6th and its causes without this orange fascist being indicted for his alleged involvement in that attack on Congress. Is that not appeasement? Is that not a willingness to let this fascist get more power by letting him be unimpeded in yet another presidential campaign? Is that not willingness to let this comic book supervillain waltz his way back into the White House? And what I'm saying right now, is this not all the more to incentivize you to check whether you can register to vote and to make sure you are registered to vote and to make sure you vote for Democrats and not these fascist fucksticks. But there I go being political again, telling you check your vote registration at vote.org and to vote for Democrats, but getting off script again. None of this is at all to say that when Horikoshi was flying My Hero Academia, that he was drawing upon January 6th. I mean, one of these is, for obvious reasons, he started this plot long before January 6th. I don't know how far in advance he was plotting, but I had to imagine far enough and with an editor where neither one of them was looking at January 6th and changing gears in their story midway. And furthermore, no, he didn't predict this. We'll get back to that in a moment. I'm certainly not arguing that what happened in My Hero Academia served as inspiration or as a model for what the real-life individuals who attacked the Capitol on January 6th were using. Rather, I'm only looking at parallels. I'm looking at coincidences. If only to show the sad, cyclical nature of literature where art imitates life and vice versa. If you're writing fiction... Determining what is too unbelievable or is actually realistic enough, that's a challenge. And often a writer has to just make it believable that you can imagine this happening rather than make it realistic. In other words, that it is inspired by something that actually has taken place before or will take place in the future. This is one reason why I get really irritated with the argument that says so-and-so predicted this event. It's incredibly unlikely anyone ever predicts an event when they're writing it in fiction, so much as they made assumptions based on the evidence in front of them in their own story and said, well, logically, this would be the end result. And then it happens that in real life, when those same circumstances appear, Logically, that is the end result, or someone reads this work of fiction and decides they want to put it into reality because they think it'd be cool instead of recognizing, no, 
this work of fiction was a warning not to do this thing, and you just did anyway. But I'm going off script again. I never found the Paranormal Liberation Front war arc in My Hero Academia to be very believable. Granted, again, I'm saying believable, not realistic. It can be realistic, but within a work of fiction, it was hard for me to suspend disbelief. Every time there was some new way to set it up for the pro heroes to lose this fight, it felt too serendipitous. I kept thinking, no. One of these characters would not make this silly mistake. They wouldn't have underestimated things this badly. We've established that this character is really good at these skills. How could they have missed this and not figured this out earlier? But then, you wouldn't have a plot, now would you? That's the challenge of writing, and sometimes a writer shouldn't listen to some audience member like me complaining that the story isn't perfectly matching my personal definition for what is and isn't believable. Just because I can't suspend disbelief and I can't stop looking at this story as an artifice, as a constructed plot and trying to figure out how it works, doesn't mean Horikoshi should be appealing just to me. I'm a literary scholar. I'm constantly trying to figure out how a story works Rather than just only enjoying the story as it unfolds, I get some enjoyment when seeing how a story works really well, and when I'm reading My Hero Academia, it's really hard to just read it as passive entertainment. What I end up thinking is, okay, this wasn't foreshadowed, this wasn't set up, this character wouldn't act like this in my opinion, this isn't working for me. Given how badly the story goes and how it coincides with our shitty real-world experiences, is it any wonder why I didn't want to reread the chapters in preparation for today's discussion, and why I stuck to skimming the wiki, which, yeah, that's not responsible literary criticism to skim a summary instead of rereading directly the work you read originally before. And... Is any wonder why I haven't wanted to sit through all the anime episodes for this arc? My Hero Academia shouldn't be wish fulfillment. It's a story that begins with Izuku Midoriya saying, All people are not created equal. Something I really should have put in today's script and completely didn't, so there is another misstep in today's discussion. But this is a series that started with an inspiration from United States sources in terms of comic book artwork and superhero motifs, but also its own legal documents. Izuku starts this story saying, no, we're not all created equal. Whether that's because by our birth or upon our existence, we already have differences between us, or rather because we have an institution that makes us, upon birth, unequal because we don't have equal access, equal accessibility to the same opportunities. We're not given the same chance. This series started with the American promise of equality can only happen if institutions permit it. Once you have an institutionalized system, be it how 
United States democracy and economics are set up to perpetuate inequality and the lack of equal opportunity, or the pro-hero system in My Hero Academia that says you cannot use your quirks in these ways, and if you don't have a quirk, you cannot enter this line of work. Yeah, My Hero Academia threw the gauntlet down pretty early on saying, yeah, this is a response to America, and it is not an entirely optimistic picture. So I regret completely for Gaines to bring up, oh yeah, Izuku said in the very first chapter, we are not all created equal, running counter to the promise of America, a promise that America has not honored. But there I go on a diatribe, so let me try to get back on topic. It's one thing for me to skim the wiki, or to not re-experience the story because I don't watch the anime. I can skip sitting through a shitty story I don't like. I can't avoid seeing through this shitty reality we're in. I don't get to check out. I don't get to hop over into another dimension where some jackass didn't insist he didn't lose the 2020 election. I'm living in a shitty reality where some jackass repeatedly insists that he didn't lose the 2020 election, where his supporters stormed the Capitol, where this jackass has not been indicted for January 6th. Even when that jackass has been indicted, he still gets to run around the country priming his supporters to potentially unleash yet another January 6th. Yeah, all of that isn't believable either. I still sit every day thinking, yeah, no, this is believable. But it happens. It's right in front of us. Your beliefs exist in the absence of evidence. Reality is just reality. It is in front of you. It doesn't care whether you believe it or not. It is in front of you. It doesn't have to be believable to be reality. We are stuck living through it. On January 4, 2021, Shonen Jump published chapter 296 of My Hero Academia. In this chapter, the Paranormal Liberation Front War has ended, with almost 17,000 villains captured, but numerous pro-heroes dead, and Shigaraki preparing to break all for one out of prison. On January 6, 2021, the attack on the U.S. Capitol happened. On January 18, 2021, My Hero Academia Chapter 297 shows more the aftermath that happens when you don't prepare for an insurrection. Looking to fiction for your philosophy, your belief system, your next course of action is not good, or rather, is not sufficient. Literature serves many functions, and there are numerous schools of thought about what literature should do for you. We had these debates all the time in academic circles. Should literature be instructional? Should it be completely useless? Should it be just entertainment? Should it be drawing from religion or morals or ethical systems to act as allegory to impart some lesson, some parable onto the reader? Me personally, I don't think literature predicts things. Like, if you want to take literature as teaching you a lesson or giving you entertainment, 
that varies depending on which story we're talking about, and we can have a debate on a case-by-case -case basis, but in one of the few blanket statements I want to make, I don't think literature predicts anything. But I do think literature can show you what can happen. That good literature shows how people would react if you put them into that kind of a situation and how they would get through that situation or whether they would come out of that situation. I don't think Horikoshi, creating this story in Japan, was looking to the United States as an inspiration for how his paranormal liberation front arc would play out. I mean, I'm going to invite questions in a bit, so feel free to let me know via email or comments. Email derek.s.mcgrath at gmail.com. I welcome questions that want to point out that Horikoshi is looking to the United States, but not January 6th, that he was looking at earlier instances of unrest in the United States, looking at the United States history of racism, of bigotry against people on the basis of their sexuality, of their identity, of their gender, of their religion, of their nation of origin. That, I think, you can make better arguments where he is pulling inspiration from. But I hate reading the Paranormal Liberation Front arc and having the thought go through my head, oh, Horikoshi predicted January 6th because no, he didn't. I hated reading this arc as it was going on. Some of that is just the cringe of don't do that, don't do it, oh, you did, and now look what happens. It's also that I just didn't find it believable that people would be this foolish and this underprepared. That's what I thought at the time of first encountering the Ark. Now, now after January 6th, now I think I was wrong. Sadly, the Paranormal Liberation Front Ark shows one possible way that people would indeed handle this situation poorly. It is the universe's weird coincidence that this arc happens to wrap up in the midst of what those insurrectionists did to the United States. I don't want to stop my discussion about how My Hero Academia speaks to the United States, so please consider what follows to be a coda to all of this, not entirely attached to the first topic of discussion, but just something I really wanted to talk about for a while. Some of the first times I talked about My Hero Academia at academic conferences was in terms of how it speaks to living with disabilities. Maybe I was naive or ignorant or just missing obvious clues in the original work, but I initially thought My Hero Academia showed what we could achieve for better accessibility. Think about it. We see doors made for people of varying sizes. We learn clothing is tailored on site for people with different body shapes and different numbers of appendages. People exist here who don't look like typical humans look in our world and yet no one, initially, is shown referring to those appearances in any way to disparage or marginalize those people. You might have an offhand comment about Mineta being 
way too into how Soji has tentacles, but yeah, that's passing it off as he notices something, he's complimentary, that is still a complimentary form of bigotry if you want to read it that way, but it's not shown to disparage or marginalize Soji. If anything, though, despite me jumping in and misreading the series as, oh, it's showing what we could achieve if we created a more accessible world, which, yeah, it does show a bit of that. Yeah, I, again, was missing the giant neon sign of Izuku screaming, this is a story about how we're not all created equal. This was a story showing that when you lack a quirk, that is what gets you disparaged and marginalized. Just look at how Izuku's doctor did not care to counsel him when he learned he was quirkless. Or how cold All Might was initially to Izuku saying you can't be a hero. Or how abusive Bakugo was to Izuku and how their teacher did not condemn this or intervene at any points. So, I initially had tried to look at the series as, okay, it's showing how people can still be awful to people who are quirkless, but if you have a quirk, this is a very accessible society. And as I said, I was naive and ignorant and missing obvious clues in the original work. After all, in the first chapter, we see Mount Lady can't get around parts of the city and how her damage of the city is costing her agency so much money that she can't even get anyone to insure her. And then later, the English dub of My Hero Academia has Jiro referred to Tokoyami as a bird brain. So that blew up my argument that, oh, this is a story where people are not disparaged by their appearance. This becomes all the more obvious once we get the origin stories for Spinner and Shoji and show, yeah, people are still disparaged based on their appearance. And we see how Dobby was not helped when his quirks were killing him, and we see the mental and emotional health care that Toga was receiving and how it was not conducive or not tailored to her and probably would not have worked out given how badly her parents treated her, even as I keep clinging to the hope that well, if her parents had been better, I do think counseling would have helped her. In other words, My Hero Academia in some ways mirrors all the good the United States could do in an idealistic setting to advance more accessibility, but that these steps at improving accessibility don't magically fix other institutionalized problems, whether that's marginalization, discrimination, bigotry, or parents making mistakes in providing what their children need. If there is any silver lining I can offer, the spin-off to My Hero Academia, another manga series called Vigilantes, does a lot better at addressing quirks as a metaphor about living with disabilities, and that series doesn't shy away from showing how communities fail to provide that infrastructure to make life accessible. The best example is what happens to the vigilante's character named Komachi, who is this giant mantis-like person. They didn't used to look like this, and they didn't used to be that gigantic. But once they transformed and had a much larger size, 
that meant they couldn't live in what was now their way-too-small-for-them apartments. The government does provide Kamachi with financial assistance to get him housing, but any of those apartments for his size are few and far between, and those within the government's program where the funding can be used for such housing is not suitable, not safe, and not in neighborhoods where Kamachi would define as good in terms of crime rates, police presence, police violence, and access to infrastructure, including public transportation. And that's how I'm getting into how do giant characters get public transportation in this world, because I haven't seen any version of My Hero Academia that ever gave an answer. Given that the series has canonically a giant Godzilla-like character, I don't know how they get around anytime they need to get somewhere that's not on their own two feet. All these details should be speaking to how we in the United States are not doing enough. We aren't providing enough public transportation and housing that is safe, long-lasting, and affordable. And if I had to discuss all the problems we have with somehow both over-policing and under-responding to actual crimes, violence, and the need for non-police governmental intervention, this discussion would take another hour. So, I'm going to end here with the typical question. What do you think? What are your thoughts about what My Hero Academia says about the United States? Or do you think this Japanese comic actually says anything? Or is it at all applicable to an entirely different country? I mean, for me, it's hard to act like this story has nothing to say about the United States. Look at the designs we get for All Might, Captain Celebrity, Stars and Stripes, all characters either from or trained in the United States who, in one way or another, speak to how the United States looks to Horikoshi and looks to his co-writers, co-illustrators, and staff members. It's hard not to see My Hero Academia drawing so much from United States comics. And to look at that, and see the inspirations coming from the U.S., and think this has nothing to say beyond imitating the visual style of those comics, I think is missing a major argument. But, again, what are your thoughts? Is there something else My Hero Academia says about America that I'm missing? Let me know in the comments or send me an email, derek.s.mcgrath at gmail.com. If you like what you heard, please let me know. Contributions at coffee.com slash Derek S. McGrath and patreon.com slash Derek S. McGrath are appreciated. Please include a note to let me know what you liked in the live stream and what you would like to hear more of. Remember, your contributions give you the opportunity to recommend works for me to cover each week. You can join other coffee and Patreon contributors such as Emily Lauer, Alec Roach, and Alexis Duran. Thank you all for your support. And one more thing before we wrap up, this should be a broken record by now. Please make sure to check your voter registration at vote.org. Then make sure you are voting for the political party that has a better chance of protecting all of us. And that means you have to vote for Democrats, not these Republican fascists. Check your voter registration at vote.org and vote whenever and wherever you legally can. I'm going to wrap things up there for today. Next weekend, 
I have taken longer than I wanted to with regard to sorting out my thoughts about Bungo Stray Dog Season 4. So let's finally do a woefully incomplete retrospective about what Season 4 did well and did poorly before we start talking about Season 5 in a couple days since the first episode premiered this weekend at Anime Expo. Until next Sunday, I've been Derek S. McGrath. You have a good afternoon. Bye. Sunday Morning Manga is intended for information and entertainment purposes only. It is not endorsed by any companies mentioned, any persons mentioned, or any financial contributors mentioned. All names, pictures, and sounds are registered trademarks and or copyrights of their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content is the intellectual property of the speaker, me, unless otherwise indicated. The views and opinions expressed on this live stream are those of the speaker, me, and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any other persons mentioned in this stream. Aside from the names of Patreon and Coffee contributors, other persons, businesses, organizations, or entities mentioned in this episode are not sponsors of this episode. My remarks about those persons, businesses, organizations, and entities are not paid endorsements. The views and opinions expressed on this live stream are those of the speaker, me, and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of coffee contributors, Patreon contributors, or any other persons mentioned in this stream. Music today include the tracks titled Los Angeles by Music Production, Sunshine by Lemon Music Studio, Over the Edge by Yevhen Oinchenko, Oinchenko Music on Pixabay. These songs are royalty-free and available at Pixabay. Links are in the description.